Uh, welcome to Outlet, everybody. We, uh, I've, I've toyed with the idea, I've asked, so just be prepared that in the coming weeks, I've asked possibly some other people to come up here and read some things that I thought would be meaningful uh, when we talk about Jesus. If this is your first time, I know, man, I'm so happy, just so happy. Every week I come up here and there's so many new faces, I meet new people here every week. We're super glad that you guys are here. If, the, if those of you who are new don't know what you've gotten yourself into, this is Outlet, started as just kind of a little small group turned into something that I think is really beautiful and really honest. Um, It is our mission here to just search for Jesus in everything that we do. We believe that Jesus shows us who God is and Jesus shows us who we're called to be as well. So uh, everybody in this room, nobody here is here to judge or to be uh, anybody else's um, judge or criticizer. Uh, Our job here is just to agree with God that every single person in this room is infinitely beautiful and infinitely valuable. So thanks for being here. We're so glad that you guys uh, decided to show up tonight. I'm starting a new series called The God Who Bleeds. And I don't know how long it's gonna go. It's gonna go for a certain amount of time that I don't know yet. But the idea is that we would just talk about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And my hope is that in these following weeks, we would, as a group, uh, learn to turn our attention to the mystery of Jesus you know, it's so easy in the Christian life to, to just turn everything into these really cold, hard formulas, A plus B equals C. But there's a lot of mystery in the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and the way that he died and the way that he saved us all. And so I hope that we would all be able to turn our attention even briefly to the mystery of who Jesus is. Because, and this is something that I wrote down that I think you'll see throughout the series, disguised under the ugliness of pain and death, The bleeding Jesus is paradoxically the clearest picture we have of who God is. In fact, Paul says it uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. He says this, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I have resolved to know nothing in the Christian faith except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, Jesus, the story of Jesus is amazing because not only was Jesus uh, spat on, beat up, tortured, and made to bleed, but Jesus was also killed. In fact, he was brutally murdered as a criminal, even though he was innocent. And so it's amazing when you think about the cross, because the cross is the place where Jesus was killed, but the cross is also amazingly the center of our faith. If a Christian is ever asked, where is the center of the Christian faith? We point to the cross and we say right there, And if we're ever asked, where are our sins forgiven and the world made right? We as Christians, we point to the cross and we say right there. And lastly, and this is the one I think a lot of people miss, if a Christian is ever asked, uh, what is God really like? We point to the cross and we say right there. Uh, And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but Christians are very peculiar. I think we're a peculiar type of people, At at least we should be. You know, when, when, when we're true to our faith, Christians are a very peculiar people. When we are compromising, we're conventional and we fit right in. But when we are true to our faith, we are very, a very peculiar people. And why? And it's because uh, we worship a God who bleeds. And that's very unusual. Yes, we serve an omnipotent God. We serve a glorious God. We serve a victorious God. But we also worship a God who suffers and bleeds and dies. 
you know, throughout history, people have always worshiped gods. And in their own mind, they've worshiped gods that they thought were mighty and victorious and omnipotent. Because if you think about it, I mean, if you were in the market for a god, I think that's what you'd think you'd want, right? You'd want somebody who's mighty and victorious and could rule with an iron fist. But it's amazing uh, because we as Christians, we're peculiar and we're a little bit different because even though Jesus is all of those things, omnipotent, all-powerful, even though he is all those things, we also say that he's a God who bleeds and dies. This is the original oddity of the Christian faith. And it's one of the things that makes us unique because Allah, uh, he doesn't die in the Quran. In fact, it says in the Quran that Allah never dies, but Jesus dies. And it's one thing that's really unique about us. He, he bleeds, he's tortured, and he's murdered. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. And uh, as we open this series, or as I open this series, I want to briefly talk, I've kind of vowed in my own heart to a certain extent not go to theology uh, world because we've been in those places for like a lot of months and I think people are starting to get burnt out and they're starting to be like, I don't know what I believe anymore. Too many weird ideas. (laughs) Theology can do that. It can be unsettling. So we're, uh, we're not trying to unsettle, and instead of, as, instead of it, this series being kind of mind-bendy, I'm hoping that it would just be like spiritually uh, healing for a lot of people. So I'm, I'm hoping to uh, make uh, more friends than I did last series. I think I made a couple enemies. Hopefully I will make some friends. So I'm not wanting to do a lot of theology uh, in this series, but there is one thing that I want to talk about super briefly before we get into the rest of the series, because um, I think it's something that Christians get mixed up a lot in their head, and it's something that would stop you, if you don't understand it right, it's something that would stop you from seeing uh, what's really happening when you're seeing a uh, crucified God. Uh, So in recent centuries, and keep in mind that Christianity is relatively old, 2,000 years at least, so we're able to talk about it in pretty big chunks of time. In recent centuries, people have tried to, let's say, neuter or mute the strangeness of a crucified God uh, by giving it just a nice, tidy explanation. Like, we call these, we like to call these atonement theories. And this is, this is they, they basically say, well, this is how it works, and here's why, and... Um, you know, it's just not, it just makes total sense. Of course, Jesus died. And I find most atonement theories uh, unconvincing and some of them incredibly repelling and offensive, uh, especially the atonement theories that go something like this. Well, God the Father is basically a barbaric deity and uh, he demands child sacrifice in order to forgive. I, I completely reject any atonement theory that sounds anything like that. And so while we do believe, along with Paul, that Christ died for our sins, we do believe that, uh, in fact, not only do we believe it, it's the central event of our faith, but uh, the question is how, like, what does that, what does that mean? Uh, does it mean that God the Father required the murder of his son in order to forgive, to forgive you? Of course, the answer is no, because uh, that paints God as a monster, and God's not a monster. If you need to kill your own offspring in order to forgive me, you're not a loving father and neither would he be. So here's a little phrase that I think uh, a great pastor, Brian Zod, he says this, and it can be like a guiding light, I think for you as you continue to uh, maybe seek to understand the incredible life and the odd life of Jesus. You can write this down. Jesus did not save us from God. Jesus reveals God as savior. 
And not a lot of people think this. A lot of people think that like God was really mad, but luckily for us, Jesus came and saved the day. Uh, Another way of saying maybe this uh, similar thing would be this. Jesus takes the blame for our sins and then Jesus reveals the heart of the father by forgiving us. I think that's healthier, don't you? I think it's, I think it's more true uh, to scripture and I think it's more true to the nature of God. The father is revealed in Jesus Christ. So don't be too quick. Don't be too quick to explain what the crucifixion means, especially when you start having a lot of different analogies about contracts and, you know, things being paid. If you're not careful, you can turn it into something that's really maybe uh, cold. So instead, what I would love for us to do in this series, especially tonight, uh, maybe we could just learn to sit for a short time uh, in the mystery of a God who suffers at the hands of his own creation and how mysterious that truly is. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Uh, we have, a, we have a, a picture. I have a picture of Jesus. This is the portrait. You can go put it up. I thought it was the right amount because it wasn't gory or anything like that, but it's certainly not funny. So this is a picture. It's a real famous portrait of Jesus. It's by a guy named, by the name of uh, Matthias Grunewald. Something like that. Apparently, it's very famous. It's a very famous portrait of Jesus. And so just look at that for a minute, if you would, with me. And so it's just, a, it's just an interesting picture because if someone were to come up to a Christian and ask, like, who is this tortured, dying man that's nailed to the cross? Well, a Christian would make a really outlandish statement and they'd say this, well, that, well that's God. And if you don't find that shocking, a little bit, you've become really familiar, probably far too familiar with the story of the crucifixion because it's very weird. It should be something to you that when you look at that and you think that's an omnipotent, all-powerful God dying a slow, painful death, uh, it should be something that doesn't make a lot of sense to you. It's a crazy uh, thought. How could this tortured, dying man be God? Uh, the French skeptic uh, Voltaire, he says this, if God did not exist we'd have to invent him. And I don't know about that. That's a bit of a stretch, I think. But I can say this. I do know that if Christianity hadn't existed and this was a fake story, uh, I don't think we would have imagined this. Because it's not, this, like this is not how you invent a religion. The sales pitch is horrible. Like the idea is this. This is what Christians believe. This guy was brutally uh, murdered and tortured and killed, and we worship him as an omnipotent, all-powerful God. And if I were to set out to make up a religion, I could make it a lot more appealing than that. It's just an amazing thing, the mystery of Jesus and the mystery of a God who bleeds. Because again, a, a conventional religion would basically say this, when the Almighty comes to uh, live amongst his enemies. And when an almighty God comes to live amongst the wicked, he destroys them. He doesn't get killed by them. He doesn't get killed by his own creation. It makes no sense. And that's the peculiarity of who Jesus is. If you've ever, if you're ever wondering, if anyone's ever asked you, like what makes something, what's something unique about the Christian faith? One thing you can say is this, that our God has come to our level and he suffers just like we suffer. And he's killed the same way that we are killed. He's not, he's not the God that does the killing. It's amazing that he comes and he bleeds at the hands of his own creation. So write this down uh, if you're taking notes. Before the cross is anything else, it's a tragedy. Before the cross is anything else, it's a tragedy. 
The story of Jesus dying is the brutal, horrific lynching of an innocent man. And it's the murder of an innocent peacemaker. And here's where I think the atonement theories kind of miss the mark. They try to explain the crucifixion as if it makes perfect sense. It's like A plus B equals C. Things about, talks about contracts and all of those different things. And then it, it like turns it into this really cold thing. And it, it's almost like, it's of, cor- of course he died. Of course he died. It's so poetic. It just makes sense. It's almost like Romeo and Juliet. It's just great. But listen, it's a brutal, violent crime. It's the murder of an innocent man. By the way, this is, if, if it sounds weird to talk about the crucifixion like this, by the way, this is how the apostles spoke about the crucifixion in the book of Acts. Numerous times, but we kind of forget it. Here's a few examples uh, when the apostles talk about the crucifixion. Acts 2, 23. This Jesus crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. 3.15, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. 5.30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And lastly, Acts 7.52, the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. It's amazing here that you see the apostles calling the crucifixion of Jesus Christ murder. And that's what it was, because if anyone didn't deserve it, it was Jesus of Nazareth. This was a man who spent his days feeding the poor, showing compassion to outcasts, teaching people how to turn the other cheek when someone would hit them. And so, so none of these verses, my point is this, none of these verses, and this is what you need to get out of your head so you can really see what's happening in the life of Jesus. None of these verses say anything like God killed Jesus. In fact, in fact, it's pretty clear, actually, what it says is we did. It says that we're the ones uh, who killed Jesus. And obviously, don't you guys know, it's a murder that, that God knew was going to happen. Didn't catch him by surprise. <gasps> it's foretold. You know, it's prophesied. We, we all knew. It's, but it's not that surprising that we knew it was coming. And for Pete's sakes, Plato uh, knew it was coming. 300 years before, he wrote a book called The Republic. And uh, Plato says this, he speculates basically what would happen if uh, a perfectly innocent and just man were to come amongst us. 300 years BC, he says this, well, we would spit on him. We would scourge him and then we would crucify him. 300 years BC. So it's no great shock that we would kill him. Uh, But it's just amazing. Uh, Just know this. You need to know this. this. None of this says that God somehow wills any of this to happen. What is willed is that by the death of Jesus Christ, we all might be saved. That's that's certainly uh, in God's God's plan. But you need to understand that one one of the ways that you have to be able to understand the crucifixion is a murderous act on an innocent man. And it's one of the things that's so amazing about the life of Jesus is that he willingly comes into a system that he knows will kill him and crucify him. But the hope is that in the resurrection, we would all come to our senses. That we, w- we would all see how far we've gone and how in need of help we all are. But in Western Christianity, you know, I think we're obsessed with understanding everything, of which I am clearly the most guilty. Y'all know that. Uh, but we do, man. We, we have to know everything. I, I need like a nice, tidy formula when it comes to, here's how, here's how this book is. Here, I, and you, you know me, if you hear me. I like to put a nice, pretty bow on it. It's like, there you go. Ref- un- irrefutable. Argue with that, buddy. And and I love that. But what I want to do for the first week of our series, I would love for us 
uh, instead of just trying to explain everything, I'm trying to not explain a whole lot, but I would want us to sit in the mystery of it all. Just sit, sit there, if you would, for a minute uh, and contemplate the God who bleeds and how, and how um, unusual that idea is. Because all of us, you know, if we've grown up in the Western world, certainly for the last four or 500 years, we're used to the idea of the life of Jesus being basically a legal transaction. Uh, and it's like as if it's the most logical thing in the world, but it's not logical. It's absurd. Think with me, if you will, the giver of life, the source of all life, put to death. Think about the creator crucified by his own creation. It's the greatest of all scandals. So I want to rewind briefly. Uh, I want to go all the way back to the, in, uh, the incarnation. This is where uh, the Bible says the word of God becomes flesh. And we see, we see God take human form in the life of Jesus. The angel Gabriel, he comes to Mary in Nazareth and uh, announces that though a virgin, she would, uh, she would give birth to a savior. Nine months later, born in Bethlehem, uh, in swaddling clothes in a manger, is uh, the beginning of the mystery of Jesus Christ. Because right off the bat, it's amazing to see that God would not stay separate from his creation. But instead, God would come and become one of us. And God would come and experience the pain and the suffering and the loneliness and the agony that's part of the human experience. Something that we, we all share in this life is that we all suffer. And I think it's amazing to see that one thing that makes our religion unique is that we have a God who comes with us on his own free will. He chooses to come with us and suffer with us. It's amazing. But Jesus is a child. He grows up. He has a vocation. He's a carpenter. Uh, just a, he's a, a laborer with his hands. And all of this, hopefully to you, is deeply strange because, man, we think, man, if God were to come ever to the earth, I mean, he would come with great splendor and glory riding a chariot down from the heavens. But instead, it's, it's weird because Jesus, he's born in an obscure corner of the Roman Empire among an occupied people. Uh, he grows up amongst peasants and engages in manual labor. It's, it's amazing. At 30, the, li the life of Jesus shifts. Uh, he begins his ministry which is totally focused on helping hurting people. And uh, to the sick, he's a healer. And to the sinner, he's a forgiver. And to the oppressed, he's a liberator. And to the fallen, he's a restorer. And the world, for those, for those brief years, the world is a better place because Jesus is here. Suffering lowers joy, raises up. Sickness lowers. Healing rises. But then it all changes. We couldn't, we couldn't let it be like that. It's, then the Bible talks about uh, these principalities and powers. Certainly in the case of Jesus, we see uh, the religion, primarily religion and government, were the two things that really come against the life of Jesus. These two things, religion and government, were threatened by the life of Jesus, and rightfully so. Because uh, if the government of God were to come, uh, it changes the world. And religion no longer makes sense. And the way of political power no longer makes sense. Because he says that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So they're threatened by him. So it's amazing that Jesus is condemned 
by the leaders of the purest, greatest, most celebrated religion in the world. They look to Jesus and they condemn him for blasphemy. It's ama- I just think it's amazing. Just think about it, if you would, with me. Uh, a religion that claims to hear from God wants to kill a man who spent his time feeding the poor. It's, just an, ama- it's an amazing scandal that they would ever hate the man uh, of Jesus. But they do, and they condemn him to blasphemy. And at this point, he's turned over to the other uh, wing, which is political government, which is power enforced by violence is basically what this symbolizes. Uh, Here we see Rome uh, embodied by Pontius Pilate uh, convict Jesus, not of blasphemy, but of treason. And so in both cases, both both cases, you have uh, religion and you have political empire and both condemn Jesus to death. Then you have a state-sponsored execution by crucifixion where we kill God. And I just think it's, it's amazing that in all of this, in this incredible story of Jesus, the only time that Jesus speaks up from the cross uh, regarding his accusers and his uh, executioners is when he briefly says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is amazing. The life of Jesus. You, this is another thing you can write down, if you would, as we just want to live in this mystery. Hopefully uh, you are. Our faith is centered around a God who bleeds and suffers, a God who agonizes and cries out in pain. But Jesus was not the God that people were expecting. They were expecting a military God like David who would come and he would regain their political independence because these are oppressed people. And they were expecting God to come, come with might and cut off the heads of their, of their oppressors so they would finally be able to uh, enjoy liberation again. But it's not the God they were expecting. Instead, you see God come and he comes and washes the feet of people who would seek to kill him. So here's a question uh, for you tonight. Where is God when Jesus was killed? Where is God when Jesus was killed? Uh, is he with Caiaphas? Caiaphas was the religious leader of the day. He's the one that condemns Jesus uh, of blasphemy. Uh, Basically, Caiaphas' stance is this. Well, it's better for one man to die for the good of the nation. So is God with Caiaphas uh, at the crucifixion? Uh, No, God is not with Caiaphas. Or maybe maybe is God with Pilate, uh, the Roman governor, the man who is demanding death in order to satisfy justice? That's basically his, his uh, point of view. Uh, he represents political power and violence and he condemns Jesus for treason. No, God is not with Pilate. So where do we find God on Good Friday? Where do we find him on that day? Well, you probably know this, right? We find him in Christ. Of course, that's where he was. In fact, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's where God was on that day. And just please notice that it's the world. Paul says it's the world that needs reconciling. It's not God. You know what I mean? It's us that needs to come to our senses. It's not him. Like the crucifixion did not change God's mind. It changed ours. And the crucifixion didn't, it, it didn't bring him to a place where he finally accepts us. The crucifixion brings us to a place where we finally accept him. 
But you, you, have to, you have to think it's just a wrong way of understanding the crucifixion if you think God the Father is just mad. Luckily, Jesus comes and he takes, he takes the anger of God the Father. That's not true because God is like Jesus. God is like Jesus and Jesus shows us the heart of the Father. In fact, you could say it like this. When Jesus says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. What do you think the Father says to that? Do you think he says, well, I wasn't gonna. I was, I was gonna, like, I was gonna, I was gonna not forgive him. It's gonna wrath. You think that? No, no, no. Here's what the father says to Jesus. He says, certainly my son, for you have always represented me. For you have always represented my heart. He says, yes, that is what we will do. We'll forgive them. We will absorb the sin in our love. We will recycle it and we will turn it into forgiveness. It's the mystery of Jesus, the mystery of a God who bleeds. Can I get the band to come up? Uh, One thing, I I have another little example for you, but I I just want to say it like this. God is not the Zeus who's hurling the thunderbolts at his enemies. That's not God. There's the Zeus form, and then there's the Christ form. Zeus, for those of you who don't know, he was the king god or the chief god, basically the main god of the Greek pantheon, which is, you all know the Greek gods. Well, he was the king god of the whole array of gods um, of the Greek mythology. Um, and you can find, there's lots of different statues. We found tons of statues of, of Zeus. Here, um, here is one. Uh, but this, you can, see, you can see his arm. I tried to um, censor it in a way because he doesn't have any pants on. Zeus. <laughs> Oh, you kids. <laughs> but just notice, notice, this is the form of Zeus. He's like this. He's like, he's like this. Usually, usually there's a thunderbolt in his hand, although as, as generations have passed, uh, most of the, the lightning bolts have been lost up, up to this point. But he's always like this. He's always ready to strike. He's always like this. And without, without Jesus... Look, just look at that picture. Without Jesus, humanity, humanity has always instinctively thought that this is the picture of Jesus. This is what our heart naturally goes to picturing God as the guy who has the lightning bolt ready to strike. And then Jesus comes. And then all of a sudden, we see this is the posture of God. This, this is what you thought it was. This is what humanity thought it was. Ready to strike. And then the good news of Jesus Christ is that Jesus comes and says, it's not this, it's this. And and you might be, some, some people, some people in Christianity today think, well, okay, well, maybe God the Father is like Zeus, but he just takes it out on Jesus. Uh, nope. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We have not always known what God is like, but now because of Jesus, we do. We thought it was this, and it's this. Disguised under the ugliness of pain and death, the bleeding Jesus is paradoxically the clearest picture we have of who God is. So for those of you tonight who are in pain God knows pain 
And for those of you who are suffering, God knows suffering. For those of you who have suffered loss, God knows loss. And for those of you who feel rejected, God knows rejection. And here's the most mysterious part of the mystery of Jesus. By his wounds, we are healed. The mystery of Jesus Christ. It's the God who will never leave us and it's the God who will never forsake us. As we close, we're gonna take communion as we always do here. And as they pass, what I want you to do, I want you to just take a minute uh, in your own heart and I want you to think about the mystery, the craziness, the absurdity of a God who comes and chooses to bleed for you. He bleeds for you. He doesn't just forgive you. He bleeds for you. He chooses to shed his own blood for you. He comes and he experiences the pain of heartache and rejection. And he comes and experiences that alongside his own creation so that he could lift that off of you. The God who bleeds, you guys can go ahead and pass. I know that there's uh, some people in here tonight that are having a hard time and you're afraid. You maybe have pain, pain in your body, so you're suffering. You have pain in your mind, so you're suffering even more. Um, maybe you're anxious, you're afraid, and you need God to help you. Uh, what my prayer would be for you tonight is that you would let the mysterious 
healing that flows from the wounds of Christ come and heal you, come and help you. Because we serve a God that comes and he takes all the pain. So as you take uh, communion tonight, if this is your first time, we just do it uh, on our own time. I don't pray for you, I want you to pray. I want you to spend a little bit of time with God, so I'll give you about a minute. But as you take communion, I want you to, to do this, whatever you're going through. I, I've learned, I haven't been in the ministry as long as some people, but I've been in it long enough to know that everybody's going through something. I know you're going through something and I know the person next to you is going through something. Whatever it is that you're going through, I want you to envision yourself as you spend a little bit of time with God. I want you to envision yourself putting it on to Jesus. And as remember, he never leaves us. So as he commits to walking with us, he's the one that carries the thing that's weighing you down. He carries it and so that you can walk free by his stripes we become healed. This is, uh, this is something that Jesus told his disciples one of the last times he saw them. He says this when it comes to eating with him, so communion, this is his body, which is broken for you. And this is his blood, which is poured out for you. Here's the invitation. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. So come to the table. So you can take a, take a minute, take communion on your own time. I'll close this out in prayer. But just focus on this. As you take communion, as you, as you eat the bread and you drink from the cup, I want you to picture yourself, envision yourself putting your burden, whatever's holding you down right now, putting it on to Jesus. It's Jesus who takes all the pain so that we can live upright. So go ahead.
Jesus Christ. You know what it is to suffer. You know what it is to have pain. You know what it is, what it is to suffer humiliation, to be ashamed. Um, you know what it is to feel abandoned. You know all of that. So I pray for my precious brothers and sisters in here tonight. And what I pray is that those in here who need to find your courage would find it. And those who need your healing would find it. Heal our hearts. Heal our bodies. I pray, I pray Father, that, that you would help us stay true, to stay close to the Jesus who carries our burdens, the God who takes all the pain, the God who takes all the shame, the God who takes all the regret, the God who takes all the fear. We walk with you, and by your stripes, we are healed. So we say thank you, Father. We love you. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. It's in your son's name we pray. Precious Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Will you look up at me? Sorry, y'all. Love you guys. So proud of you. Thanks for hanging in there. Um, we're dismissed for the night. Thank you again for being here. It's going to be a journey uh, together. I'm just setting the stage. I've got a lot of great things to share about Jesus. I'm really excited. I hope you guys would commit to coming to the rest of the series. Uh, but other than that, you are dismissed. We love you guys. Thanks for being here. God bless you. Thank you.